0: Okay, in your notes, we are on page 11. We're wrapping it up uh, tonight uh, with some questions that are uh, already here, some that have been asked, some that might be on your mind. Uh, maybe there's others that you have um, to ask. But um, page 11, in your notes, and uh, we're, we ended... Um, with looking at the elders' responsibilities, we want to uh, shift um, slightly to talk about uh, deacons and deacons' responsibilities uh, and how elders are distinct from that, uh, and, and as, as it's spelled out in Scripture. There was a um, cartoon, and perhaps this is a, one of those kind of cartoons that only pastors appreciate. I don't know. Um, but it was in the leadership journal, really primarily written to pastors. So maybe uh, this is one that strikes my funny bone and not, not you as much. But it's a cartoon of a pastor uh, in his office with a door closed. And he's on his knees praying. And he's looking up with a startled expression on his face as he's on his knees praying. He looks up in the doorway and a church member is, is, is stu- staying right there and standing right there inside the pastor's office, having obviously just burst into the study with something on her mind. And the woman has this delighted look on her face as she sees the pastor there, and she says, uh, the caption reads, Oh, good, you're not busy. <laughs> and I, that strikes me funny. Okay, now, we really, you know, shouldn't, but you think, that's not, you're not busy because you're doing that. Oh, you... I thought maybe you might be doing something else. It might be busy, but you're praying. So you certainly have time for me. Now, that leads into Acts 6. Acts 6. Because sometimes, even in our world, pastor or not pastor, we sometimes think of um, prayer as inactivity, Right? We're we're busy when we're doing things. We're busy when we're getting around to that task that's in front of us, and we start hitting that checklist and getting things done. That's busy stuff. That's activity. And then we go to prayer, and it sometimes feels like inactivity, doesn't it? It does. That's why we don't do it as much as we ought to. Um, And yet we know it's the most important activity we could ever do, and yet it feels like, I don't know, i got so much to do, I can't pray. (laughs) I can't spend time in prayer. Um, and yet it's really out of the opposite. I have so much to do, I better spend a lot of time in prayer. Well, in Acts chapter 6, we get a little flavor of that with the, um, with the uh, disciples here and the situation, and you're familiar with this story, I know. Um, just let me, as a prelude to this, uh, deacons, uh, in the New Testament we see them, uh, the word deacon, um, diaconus, is, uh, is, it really means servant. Um, if you want to think of one word that describes it, often, even um, in the NIV at least, it translates the word deacon as servant. As servant. Even when it speaks in um, Romans, I think it's Romans 13, when it speaks of our, our, um, those that are in uh, authority over us in government and government and those that protect us in the world, the word is, is deacon there too, when it speaks of they're their God's servants. Servant, deacon, it's the, same, it's the same word. So servant, when you think of deacon, think servants. Philippians 1, 1 uses that word. First Timothy 3, 1 through 13, at different places through there, uses that word. Uh, basic meaning of the deacon group seems to be apparently um, practical, active, helping kind of way with respect to the basic necessities of life. Now, the word deacon is not used here in Acts 16, and yet... Um, I would argue that there's a prototype here, um, a picture here, of future deacons. Acts 6, verse 1, in those days and the number of disciples were increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews uh, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of foods. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. You see it there? You see what can happen just as that person who might burst into the office and go, Oh, good, you have time for me right now. I know you were praying, but you know, you can stop that because my concern is greater than whatever you were praying for. Uh, we kind of get that mentality. Same thing here. They were giving themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, and that was to be their focus. And that's what they wanted to to keep on their uh, radar as being the main thing. And so in the process of that, there was a need that was apparent in this community of believers and um, and, and uh and the, and the disciples were getting drawn into caring and meeting this needs. And as they were doing that, the temptation or the uh, danger would be that um, uh, they would be waiting on tables, meeting practical needs, and not getting around to what they believed they were called to do, and that is the ministry of the Word in prayer. They're not saying they are above waiting on tables. That's not the point. It's a matter of prioritizing. And, so, and, and the disciples' mind... Wait a minute here. We have a conflict of priorities because meeting the needs of the widows, yes, that's important. Ministry of the Word of God in prayer, yes, that's important. They're both equally important, but we're called to do this. We can do this. We can get others to do this. It's not as easy to get just anyone, in quotes, to do the ministry of the Word in prayer. But we really can find servants, those who can carry out this This job, this task of meeting needs in a very practical way. Um, And so so the the problem is very obvious. Um, Widows were being, certain widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Um, And and the solution was delegates. Delegates. Delegates to others Who can carry out the work. Now anybody in leadership. Again it's not an issue. Are they above doing that? No. We saw earlier. Please keep this as as a background. Of everything that I'm saying. Servant leadership. For elders. We talk about elders. It's all about this. All about that. So we're not saying they're above it. We're just saying what can happen. The danger for anybody in leadership. Pastors often bring this on themselves. I am guilty of this. I can do it. I can do it. I got it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I will do, it, I'll do it, I got it. I can do that. Okay, maybe the attitude's admirable, but eventually what will happen is you, 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 the, the pastor or the leader is spending time on a lot of other tasks and not getting around to the ministry of the word and prayer, and that's a problem. Okay, so the solution was delegate. Others can do this. Others can do this. Um, Now, the elders, the under-shepherds, do bear responsibility for the practical care of the flock um, and the many diverse needs. It must be balanced with the biblical truth of every member ministry. Every member ministry. Another key component to what I am speaking to on deacons and eldership is about every member ministry. It ought to, no matter what your structure is in any church, ought to support that every member ministry. First Corinthians 12 bears that out, Ephesians 4 bears that out, and other places in Scripture that it's not just the hired or the leadership that are responsible for carrying out the ministry. God is placed at the moment of salvation, the Spirit of God right in that person. From that moment, the Spirit of God lives there to never be taken away according to the New Testament. Also at that time, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, at the same time, you are given a spiritual gift. Maybe it was a gift prior to that that is developed and now has a spiritual component. Maybe it's independent of that. It's not even what you did in the past before you came to the Lord, but you have a gift or gifts. Every member ministry. So, This model here in Acts 6 supports every member ministry. They could have done this, they could have waited on tables, they could have done it all, but they delegated it. That's the solution. You see, it's not just the um, elders, the under-shepherds who are to visit the sick or comfort the bereaved or strengthen the weak or provide counsel and so on. This is not to be the work of one person or even a team of people. It's the work of the whole church. Elders are not, elders are not, elders are not the total ministry of the church. They're not. They are. There's a problem. So, the solution, you see it here Act Acts 6. Furthermore, the elders need to delegate. There's the word delegate to the deacons. Many of the practical needs of the congregation. Many of the practical needs of the congregation need to be delegated. There is a responsibility to minister to practical care needs. But the, the elders here say their priorities must be prayer and the ministry of the words. All right. Any questions on that? I to go to qualifications here. Anything on that? I, there's a lot of other things spinning around here, but I'm trying to stay focused. But you might have a question on just this Act Six. It's a prototype. Not deacon word is, is not used. The closest you can come to it is is distribution. Uh, is the word ministration, on um, the noun is is, uh, uh, is is taken from developed. Um, it's the form of on um, the word deacon. best as closest you get. So, qualifications, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you can turn there, 1 Timothy 3, um, we saw this last time as it related to um, elders and their qualifications, Uh, verse 8 picks it up of deacons' qualifications. Um, eight through ten, and then picks it up in twelve through th- twelve through thirteen, and then we got to deal with verse eleven a little bit. Uh, verse eight: Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Verse um, twelve. A deacon must be the husband of but but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now something to be noted about deacons is that there there are spiritual qualifications. So it's still, uh, in in the model of elders deacons, it's not, well, anybody can serve as a deacon. You have a pulse? Good. You can serve as a deacon. That's not how it works. There's got to be a spiritual qualification. There, there's something spiritual about their service. Let's not downplay it or minimize it. Even in um, uh, Acts 6, they were full of faith in the Holy Spirit, right? Isn't that what it said? Something like that. Um, so there was a, they had to select men, seven of them, who were full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And so there was a spiritual component to even what the deacons do. So it's not just someone um, that can, uh, is very uh, good in, in managing, organizing, or coordinating, or, or ministering on a practical level if they don't have some of these qualifications as listed here. Worthy of respect, verse 8. They must be sincere. They must not be addicted or indulging in much wine. They must not pursue dishonest gain. Notice this next one. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Notice they must first be tested. There's some careful scrutiny. It doesn't necessarily mean a probation period, though some see it that way. But there is a careful scrutiny um, of their their, um, uh, faithfulness to the Lord. There's some testing ground there. Uh, They are to be uh, one woman man or husband of one wife. And they are to manage their children and household well. Now verse 11. Verse 11 is, is up for grabs, um, and you can read uh, 10 um, Christian writers, or maybe even scholars, uh, and you're going to get um, right down the middle of 5 and 5. Um, the NIV has chosen uh, to translate verse 11 uh, as being the deacons' wives. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy and everything. Um, and the question comes in, are there uh, just still two classes of people, um, or, or are there three? Um, let's just say the qualifications, and then we'll come back to this. Qualifications, um, whether you're looking at as deacons, wives, or um, men de- uh, women deacons. Because uh, deacon, by the way, is, is neutral. It's not gender-specific. It's not necessarily male or female. It's context that gives it to you. Uh, by looking at the word deacon, uh, it doesn't tell you male or female. By the, it doesn't tell you your gender. Um, so, so it's it's that's neutral, uh, but it's by context. But are we talking about women deacons or whether you're talking about wives of deacons? Look at the qualifications. Uh, they had to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy, and everything. So there's something serious about this person's uh, role, whether they're a wife of a deacon or um, a, uh, a, a woman deacon. Uh, the qualification is present there. Now, I'm going to come back to you on page 12, by the way. If you go to page 12, I want to look at responsibility of deacons. And we're going to answer this question, what about deaconesses? I just want to do this in the order that we have it here in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, Responsibilities of deacons on page 12. Um, Now, we need to realize, and this is a model shift, okay? I I don't um, uh, hide that fact. There's a model shift as we talk about where we are and deacons and where we're moving toward and elders. There needs to be a mindset change for you as well as for us. But there needs to be a mindset change because right now, your view deacons as those in authority and often uh, seen as leaders and those who make decisions and, and even um, those um, um, who, um, uh, how do I want to say this, certainly those um, who are carrying out the leadership responsibilities of the church and sometimes uh, serve in an elder capacity. So the present model you have Um, As we think about it, there are are those in authority. They are leaders that often serve in an elder capacity. Um, Well, the deacons here in Scripture um, were not a governing body um, in the church, nor were they charged with authoritative teaching. They don't say about apt to teach. Um, You don't see anywhere in terms of of, uh, their, their role of shepherding, as you do elders, or guarding the flock. Or protecting the church from error. you don't see any of that as it relates to deacons. Um, And so we kind of have to make this shift in our minds. This is the hard part. Mindset change is always the most difficult thing ever. Okay? You can put all kinds of programs in. You can say, we're going to start doing this. But if your mindset doesn't change, which usually takes a long time, then you're still going to be lagging behind. And everything's still going to go through that filter of, oh, no, they're a governing body. No, they're not. They're not. So we've got to make that shift. Um, it seems to refer to those who provide practical, active help with respect to the basic necessities of life. Um, as I said, the word deacon can be either masculine or feminine, depending on its context. Um, Romans 16, verse 1. Romans 16, verse 1. Uh, Phoebe is called a deacon. Romans 16, 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, that's the word deacon, a servant of the church in St. Korea. So Phoebe here is a, is a woman deacon. Um, it appears that the role of deacon is of such nature that nothing stands in the way of women's full participation in it. If you think leadership, authority, and all that, you might have a hang-up on it. I don't know. But if you think of servant, and you think of carrying out practical needs in the church, then this next question about, about deaconesses, which isn't even you know, really a word. Um, so we're, we're, we started changing it, I think, this last time in, in, a, in the deacons' meeting um, to um, men deacons and women deacons. That sounds kind of weird to us because we think women, deacons, women, men's role. That doesn't make sense. Remember, it's neutral, it's not, it's not gender specific. Because deaconesses, and spell check doesn't even know what to do with deaconess. They don't even know what to do with that word. They don't know how to spell that word. It's not there. It doesn't matter to me what we call them. Um, but the truth is, um, it seems like in 1 Timothy 3.11, though it could be referring to the wives of deacons or women, uh, to wives of deacons, there seems to be. Um, That there's a role, a different, a third class of of people here, and that is deaconesses. Um, It seems odd to me, anyway, that Paul would have a special word to deacons' wives and yet not to elders' wives. That strikes me as interesting. As he goes through here, he talks about elders, he doesn't say anything about elders' wives. Which you'd think, in that leadership position, that he would have something to say about, leader, about elders' wives. He doesn't. He goes right to deacons, and then some think, well, then he talks about the deacons' wives. Why did he choose to talk about the deacons' wives and not the elders' wives? I don't know. I don't think he did. I don't think he was trying to talk about the deacons' wives. I think it was women deacons. You can disagree, and you're going to be in company with a lot of decent people. And people that know Scripture um, and know the original language a lot better than I do. So um, my point, though, my point, though, is to, is to ask the question, is there anything in the role of deacon, new model, not old model, anything in the role of deacon that would disqualify a woman from participating in it? Now think about that before you just kind of answer it, because we're not talking about authority, we're not talking about teaching over men or leaders, elder, any of that. So, um, so should it? I would say no. I don't think there's anything um, that's not a leadership uh, position. Um, and uh, and should not, women should not be disqualified from that position of servant, meeting practical needs. Most people don't have a hang-up on that. I don't know if you do. The ver, wor, uh, word in verse 11 says the word likewise in the same way, um, To introduce this third group in the same way the deacons were introduced in verse 8. Suggests a new order, namely deaconesses. So, that's the thought there. We're going to talk about what will change. I want to ask if you, see if you have any questions or comments or want to throw a tomato at me or something. I don't know. At least I know you're still with me if you did that. How are we doing? Okay. Questions? Yes. Meaning, take go go one more step with me. What are you saying? Interpersonal relationships in the church. Yes. Still have there's rumor of that. Yes, I've heard that there's some churches where that happens. Yeah, right. Interpersonal relationships. And, and, and all of this, remember, going back to what Bob's comment is, as we talk about um, elders and the servant leadership, as we talk about deacons and deaconesses, um, it's all about the people. It's all about the people. It's not about tasks. It's not about going off in your own room and, and having this vision from the Lord of what, where you're going to take people, independent of where the sheep are at. It's not that at all. Yeah, if we're going to know how to lead the sheep, we have to stay close to the sheep. So that's all. It is all about people. All about people. All about people. And and I hope you catch that. I've said it enough from day one on this. Um, It has to be that we must. I must. We all must as leaders uh, be involved in people's lives, no matter what your structure is. So yes, um, elders have a role in that, and deacons have a role in that as well. What will change? We need to answer some very practical questions. Some of you just kind of wish we just went right to this and skipped all the other three weeks. Because um, this is, you know, these are the questions. You know, this is what I want to know. Um, to the nuts and bolts kind of people, um, here it is. Page 12 in the middle. What's going to change as we make this shift? Um, uh, okay, first of all, bullet number one. You're going to receive the benefits of shared leadership. We already went over that. I'm not going to go over that again. But on page six, there are benefits with this change. And I hope, I really trust that you've seen the benefits. And not just see this as, you know, ah, we just got to make a change for change's sake. Mm. Hopefully you've seen the benefits of shared leadership. This collective wisdom provides greater accountability. It protects the church from error and false teaching. The last thing that you want or should want is one person at the helm making all the decisions of the church and saying, hey, you just go for it. No, that's not, that should never be the case. That is a, that is a recipe for disaster. And those uh, in our in our Christian community that are, have been placed in that responsibility, in that role of of they call the shots, they're answerable only to God. Um, it's dangerous. And you've seen them fall down and crash and and um, do irresponsible things with money and morality. Um, so there's great benefits of shared leadership, greater harmony to the church's purpose to be the church. Every member ministry carry out the Great Commission. Um, we're made up of brothers and sisters of Christ with a wide diversity of gifts. And we, each person ought to be able to use their gift. No leader has all those gifts. And if he thinks he does or tries to carry them out, he does a disservice. There's some of you here, there's some uh, in our congregation that would do um, a slam-bang job and going to visit someone in their home. Uh, or caring for someone in a practical need uh, far better than than a professional. Don't 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 sell yourself short on that. You, what you bring to the table on your giftedness is amazing. Uh, every member of ministry. Um, so greater harmony of the church's purpose. Role of deacons uh, is to carry out care. Um, I'm just gonna I already talked about that. Next, page thirteen, elders will focus on spiritual needs. They had to give themselves primarily to matters, spiritual needs of the flock, rather than get bogged down in matters and responsibilities others can carry out. Um, And and a lot of churches, in most churches, perhaps I would say, there's a leadership void. And part of the reason there's a leadership void is because leaders are giving themselves and getting bogged down in a lot of other matters and responsibilities that others could do, Honestly. And it takes all of their attention, all of their energy, everything. And they're not giving themselves, Acts 6, 1 through 6, ministry of the word and prayer. Or not. And again, I can bring that on myself. So it's not just an indictment on the congregation. It's an indictment on pastors. Um, we we kind of get, oh, I can do it. I'll do it all mentality. Uh, and we get further and further away from the primary focus. So, so elders are going to focus on spiritual needs. And other things they can delegate. There's certain things you don't want them to be doing <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Questions? Here we are, here's some. Um, what is the difference between elder rule versus elder led? Um, some uh, get a little uh, nervous when we talk about elders if you haven't been used to that format because they now see that as it must then be elder rule. And by elder rule, I'm going to oof, really. Um, uh, boil it down, and those who are in elder rule would be very upset with me that I'm boiling it down to this. Okay, uh, but just for sake, uh, just for our sake and purpose uh, for tonight, um, elder rule. Ultimately, decisions are made by elders without any or very little involvement of the congregation um, in the decision making process. They're typically. Um, elder rule, elders make the decision. They may communicate, they ought to. They may fill in, give FYIs to the congregation, but they're not involving the congregation and decision-making process. They're saying, this is where we're going. I hope you're going to follow. We want you to follow. We're going to communicate we want you to follow, but this is where we're headed. Okay? That's an oversimplification. Um, but for our sake, just want to uh, just mention that. That's not where we're going. This is congregational rule. It continues to be that, and they have no plans of changing that. Um, Elder-led is a better phrase. Elder-led. Elders provide leadership and guide the congregation toward their direction, but are involved, the congregation are involved in decisions that affect the whole church body, like we did this morning in the calling of Chris. The elders could have just said, if we had it set up that way, and we elder rule, elders, this is the person, we're going to go get them. We'll tell you who it is, and we'll fill you in, but we're going to go get it. We've already made that decision. No. What we did this morning and having the membership vote on that was a beautiful thing. A lot of reasons. It was a beautiful thing. Um, as we just kind of come together, part of the decision, own it, buy into it. Yes, let's go. There's excitement in that. So, so the congregation's involved in the process. And so when issues are brought to the congregation, the elders are spirit directed shepherds, they take the lead in guiding the congregation in orderly and prayerful decision-making. And as the congregation looks to its elders for wise leadership, the elders also look to the congregation for wisdom, for counsel, for inspiration, for creative ideas, for assistance, for prayer, so on and so forth. In other words, again, the elders do not have all the wisdom given from God, and, and that's it. It's a done deal. They need collective wisdom. They need the insight of others. They need others' decisions or, or, or creative options or suggestions. And then they make their decision. But it's not, it's not absent of that. Because the congregation brings a lot to the table. We can't, no person or, pe- or group of people can see it from all facets and so the congregation's involved in that, the leaders gain wisdom from that, um, but the spirit-led elders know the necessity of congregational participation in all major decisions. But the goal of elders and congregations should always be to speak and act as a united community. Um, so there's no place for secrecy, aloofness, uh, working independently of the Christian community. Open communication is a must. You know how I feel about that. You know the importance that I place on that. I'm not saying I always do a a great job of that in the whole area of communication. Just ask my wife. Um, But I'm, I'm striving to be better in communicating with everyone, but certainly with the congregation. And As leaders, we can't operate in a vacuum. We can't. We, we must come to the congregation more, even better than what we're doing and saying, yeah, this is what we want to share with you. We, we want you to be a part of this. We want to communicate with you. Very, very, very important. Because remember, the absence of information, you fill it in with wrong information. Right? Oh, they must be, oh, they have a secret agenda. That's what it is. They're doing something secretly right now because we haven't heard from them in a month. <clears> hmm. <throat> right? That's what happens. We would do our best to try and communicate. There's always run that risk that um, it's never enough. But still got to do it. <clears throat> okay. The, um, so elder led. Um, it's important, however, for the congregation to obey and submit to its spiritual leaders. Hebrews 13, 17. Um, even in disagreeable situations, congregation is called to submit. It doesn't say submit and obey your leaders only when they do a good job. Submit and obey to your leaders only when you like their decision. Submit and obey to your leaders, um, when, uh, whatever, fill in the blank. The same way, though we're not talking about this tonight, wives submit to your husbands, uh, doesn't say, well, wives submit to your husbands when you agree with them. That's not how it works. So there's that communication. There's that gaining from each other. Same with the husband-wife relationship. It'd be crazy for the husband just to go out on a limb and say, well, you just need to follow me because I'm going there. Same thing with elders. It's not how it's set up. We bring people along. But at the end of the day, there are times in which the elders may have to say, you're going to have to trust us on this. This is where we're headed. This is where we're headed. And you might even disagree. But this is where we're headed. And then Hebrews 13, 17 comes into play for you. Now, it's not blind submission, okay? Whenever we say this, we get all nervous about, oh, that means what if he goes where the deep end? I still have the... Okay, don't go to the extreme on this. There are extremes. No matter what system you have, you cannot be protected from some control freak or someone going off the deep end. Now, it doesn't matter what policy you have, what constitution you have. If someone is that way, they will find a way around it. So, so that doesn't solve it. No structure fault solves it. You can't put all enough protection in place. But... It doesn't mean blind submission. Doesn't mean that the elders are above questioning or above public discipline. First Timothy five talks about that. Doesn't mean oh I can't say anything against the elders. I can't ever ask a question. Can't ever say, Hey, you sure you're seeing this right? Not true. You can. Respectfully. You may not disagree with them. You still may have get down to that point where you have to obey and submit. Okay, but it's not again in this in this vacuum. We're all called to submit, right? No matter what relationship we're in, we're all called to submit. Ultimately, we're all called to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one is above that. No one in their life, through the walk of life, um, are never called to submit. We all are called to submit. Bosses, authorities, and government, so on and so forth. What's going to happen to those previously serving as deacons? Um, There is a sheet that I passed out um, at open forum. That talked about phase one and phase two. And um, phase one, let me just talk about this, and I'm going to spend more time on this to the whole congregation and some Sunday school forum or something, because everyone needs to hear this piece, so don't get too upset if you don't catch it all right now. But this phase one, phase two, it made a lot of sense to, to try and do this in phases and transition and not just go, boom, starting May, whatever. We are now elders and deacons, are, and this is what we're doing. Okay, it doesn't make sense to do that. That wisdom says, no, 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 no. Let's make a transition into it. So there's a transition. There's a phase one that will begin, hopefully, in May 2012. um, That serves the purpose of dividing up responsibilities between deacons and elders. Present deacons can continue to serve their term as elders for fiscal year 2012-2013. Or if they feel right then, they're better suited to fit the deacon role. And that then they say, you know what, I want to be really just a deacon, not deacon slash elder. Because that's what's going to happen for this phase one. It's going to be deacon slash elder. Now some churches in the area, one I know in particular, they still do that. That's what they call their, their he calls his leaders deacon slash elder. I don't know how he says it. He says it another way. You, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't know how he says it. Deacon, elder, elder, deacon, something. Because they serve both of those, and that's just how they do it. Okay. So that's going to be kind of the first year deacon, elder. Kind of some of what you have right now. But the change is we're going to start moving to away from um, uh, wearing the two hats and all the areas of responsibilities and start d- identifying and defining this is an elder's responsibility. This goes here. This is a deacon's responsibility. This goes here. The same people might be carrying them both out in this transition, but we're identifying, and defining. and and doing a better job and noting what the areas of responsibilities are. Yes. Yes. Still have to work that one out. Not sure the answer to that. Um, We may set it up, and we've got to talk some more on that piece. That's a more practical matter. Probably won't add anyone to the deacon/elder mix. Does it make sense to do that in a transition? We might say let's identify some as deacons, but not necessarily. Let's throw them into a deacon. We're not sure what they are. Deacon, elder. Probably won't do that. Okay, for this one-year transition. Okay, so we can sort it out, divide it, and get better launch in the next year in which we're electing deacons and we're electing elders for those areas, different people for those areas of responsibility. Okay, Ruthie, that's the best I can answer it right now, but I'm still kind of working that one. That's a pragmatic that we got to talk about together. Okay, so that's phase one. The phase two just kind of falls in the heels of that in which it's truly set up as deacons different than elders. How many leadership boards will we have? Question number three. Um, really, only one. Um, there's going to be a change, and we've got to talk more on this to other areas and what we call them, um, but, um, but really seeing elders as the leadership board, though we don't like the word board, um, so we're trying to find another way of saying that, um, but a leadership team, uh, but we've got to work some of that out, so don't go too far with this or feel too, I don't know, bent out of shape over it. have got to talk this through still, okay? Relax on that one. Is the pastor considered one of the elders? number four on page 14? Yes, he is. The church that Chris comes from, I think he said this um, in one setting. Um, they called their elders pastors. Yes. Our first pastor was called elder. Way back. Oh, okay. OK. Oh, OK. OK. So it is in the history somewhere, just way back there. Okay. Thank you, Ruthie. Would not know that. So, um, so pastors, same word as elders. We talked about that when we talked about terminology. Um, they could be considered that. What will be some specific responsibilities of the elders, some areas they may oversee but not be involved with? What is meant by overseeing? Briefly, I want to touch on this. We're going to flesh this out a little bit more. Overseeing does not mean that they run the ministries. Overseeing does not mean they dictate how each of those ministries should necessarily be run. They will provide direction. They'll look at each part as each part and how they fit the whole. They'll evaluate. They'll say, hey, let's talk with this ministry leader. How is your ministry carrying out the purposes of this church and the direction that we're moving? Is it carrying it out? Is it carrying out your own purposes? But they're not micromanaging. They're not running ministries. They don't have their hands in everything. That goes against what we're talking about from Acts 6. Okay? Every member ministry. Now, what do they do in the overseeing? They give a supervisory role. Here's some ideas. Here's some thoughts. Here's how it carries out the greater vision of what we're doing as a church. This is how your part fits into the whole. Yes. 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 Advisory role. Someone's coming. I just got to talk to some elders. I'm not sure where to go with this ministry. Um, Supportive role, coming alongside of ministry leaders, and saying, "How's it going? How are you holding up? Is it all about doing? Are you becoming? Are you being? Are you do 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 do? How's your soul? That's what we're talking about. We need to be doing that in each other's lives. How's your soul? Not how did ministry go last week? That's okay. But how's your soul? Because some people can run ministries and be at the helm of ministries. And you know it. You've probably maybe even been there. And, 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 and meanwhile, you know, you, you can't remember the last time you cracked open the Bible for yourself except when you're preparing for a lesson. It happens. So how's your soul? So they give direction. They, they support. They oversee in that sense. Uh, in the areas of feeding, protecting, caring, and leading. Um, Probably self-explanatory feeding has to do with preaching needs and other areas of ministry, gaps, uh, of teaching in the church. Hey, you know, we need something on marriage. Hey, you know, we need something on this. This doctrine over here is not being talked about much in our church. We need to, we need to put our finger on that and say, where, what's the best setting so we can start talking about this doctrine a little bit more? Ah, Sunday school class, boom. Preaching series, boom. That's what we're talking about, looking for the gaps, Protecting, being alert of false teaching that infiltrates the church, address theological errors. That might be up publicly in a special form, might be at a, uh, through teaching, through preaching. But they're just saying, this is something that's on the airwaves that people in our church are listening to and buying into. We're seeing it. We need to talk about it. We can't just kind of go, oh, well, it's out there. No, it's affecting brothers and sisters in Christ, our flock. So, so that's the protecting part. It's It's big. It's big, um, but so, so, so important. Caring, seek to meet needs within the flock through others. Uh, leading, set direction. For the overall ministry of the church being proactive rather than reactive. Lead by example, so on and so forth. Number seven, our elders elected. We're hitting this quick. We're coming back to these questions because these are the questions on the minds of uh, everyone, not just you. So I'll be hitting these questions in another setting. Are elders elected, if so, by whom? Are there term limits? Do we have men qualified to serve as elders? Several parts to one question. That last question, do we have people right now, and people have asked me this question. This has been a burning one. Do we have people, as you look around, do you have people, you think, that are qualified to serve as elders in this church? Here's my answer. Yes, yes, I believe we do. I believe we have potential men as well to serve as elders and the process of phase one into, uh, is to provide a time of testing, examining, and training of qualified men. Well, what some, I think, are saying, um, uh, are: will they, will they have some tools in their toolkit? They're going to have some training. Some, some just say, ah, I can't be an elder, no way, never, uh-uh, not me. Well, is that because you really can't serve in that role, or you just don't feel equipped to serve in it? And if we had some training, you might feel a little more equipped. And so I think there are potential men um, as we walk through this process uh, who receive some training, understand what it means to serve as an elder that will definitely step up and ready to go. Ready to go. Are they going to be elected? Yes. By the church? Yes. Because we're congregational rule. Will the elders have a lot to say and future elders in being elected? Yes. It's not just anyone says, you know what, I think so-and-so would be a good elder. I really, really like him. He's a decent guy. He painted my house last week. He did a great job. Okay, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's going to have to go through elders. Elders are going to really have the say in future elders. It's just really, they're the ones on the finger on the pulse on that. Um, but the church has to vote them in. Are there term limits? Probably. Um, should there be? Yeah, I'm not sure. Other than people need a break. But my philosophy is if you're an elder, unless um, you disqualify yourself as an elder, from moral sin in your life or other things um, or just stage of life, you can't do it anymore, uh, then you're an elder for life. You're an elder for life. If you're qualified when you're 35, 40, why aren't you qualified when you're 55, 60? Unless there's a moral failure in your life or something else. Things do change in life, but why wouldn't you? So that's why the term limits, yeah, I get it, makes sense. Um, And really a lot of that is to protect uh, individuals from being in that position and they're, you know, they, they feel like a se- it's a sentence. I gotta do this till Jesus comes. Yeah, okay, maybe you do. That should be okay. Yes, a question in the back. No, we're actually putting a number down in the Constitution just so that it doesn't get to that point. But again, the, the key is on that, even as we put a number down, is, is not the number as much as they need to be qualified. So, we're not going to say, well, shoot, we're, we're, we're one short, so let's you know, get so and so in there because we don't really know if he's qualified, but we need that number of people, so let's get him in. No, we're not going to do that. If it means we serve one less than our desired amount, then we'll serve one less or two less. So, they have to be spiritually qualified. So, the number is only a number, but it gives us some guidelines so we don't have 20. Yeah, that's the part that I kind of flew right past on purpose because I don't want to speak out of turn, and it's certainly not fair to, to speak on that when, when I really haven't had conversations with trustees as a whole. I've had individual conversations, but, so I, that's why I'm being really careful on that one. Um, I think we need to talk and sit down with them and say, hey, this is what it means, this is what it looks like. It um, doesn't change your areas of responsibility, but it will change in terms of how you might carry it out. That's all. Okay? We'll have a better answer for that in the future. Because we have to address it. Okay? Correct. Correct. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely a role for, for, um, for trustees. Yep. Some call them stewardship commission or committee or stewardship something. Um, trustees. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't change at all. I can answer that question. They continue to carry out and, and maintaining this huge facility. And then some crazy guy who lives next door. And they do a good job with all of this. No, not Howard. <laughs> this crazy guy, I meant. So anyway, that's, yes, that continues. Just may, might look different. Yes. Okay. Any other questions? I need to let you go. Uh, we hit this quickly. We're going to set at least one other time, probably several in which we communicate all of this. Um, but um, not all these notes, but some of these other pertinent things. Um, and there's CDs. There's, there's CDs on this. I think we, we taped this one too, I believe, Nick. So anybody comes up to you and says, ah, gee, I don't know what's going on. I couldn't make it Sunday night. We do have the packet, and we do have the, um, all of these taped, all four of them. Okay. And I'm not done communicating with this. I shouldn't be. Okay? Yes. Now, Phyllis is keeping us late, not me, okay? Yes, Phyllis. Yes. Ah, that's really fair to do. Absolutely heard things from Chris. Thank you. Um, Was trying to think what venue to do that in. There's probably more than one. This is one. Um, Talk to Chris, quarter of twelve. Um, he didn't waste any time. He said, hey, what's up? Um, and we said, uh, sorry, but not even close. No. I said, you're in, pal. You're in. Um, here's the vote. Here's the number. Um, he was very pleased with that. Uh, and, uh, and I said, you know, you don't have to give me an answer right now. You can sit on this. He goes, hey, we've been praying about this for a long time. We're prepared to give an answer. And the answer is we want to accept the call. And we're ready to go. And I want to give uh, my supervisor, boss, my notice really soon, so it might even be tomorrow. That's up to him. Um, he already gave his boss a heads up that this might be happening. His boss says, "You know, you know sooner rather than later for me, so I can get a replacement." You're not locked into sixty days. If I find someone sooner, you're released sooner. So um, I think Chris is going tomorrow and saying here's sixty days. That's what I think. I left that with him, and they're stepping out in faith in terms of their house. And they're saying, and, and Jen was right there, and Chris was kind of going, "Well, you know, I want to be responsible," and I'm because I'm looking at Jen. Jen saying, "We're going for it. We're going for it. Let's just trust God in this." So that's what they're doing. So they're on board, excited. Talked with me a little bit, uh, a few minutes ago, I'm right before the service as well. And yeah, they're pretty excited. So they'll be here soon. Yeah, praise the Lord is right. Absolutely. Thank you for asking that. I I'll mention it next Sunday too. Okay, let's close in prayer. Lord, I know there's a lot.